Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober, right here on Green Earth Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. My guest today is Megan Reamer of Jackson's Honest Potato Chips. Plus, my desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. The Obama administration has warned that across-the-board spending cuts that go into effect in March could result in furloughing every U.S. meat and poultry inspector for two weeks. This would mean that meat packers and processors wouldn't be legally allowed to ship beef, pork, lamb, or poultry without the USDA's inspection seal. I see this as a positive way to let people know about buying local meat from family farms instead of the factory farm meat that's shipped across the country. Next, state representatives in Texas are proposing an amendment to the state's raw milk laws. Currently, raw milk can only be purchased in Texas on the farm where it's produced. The HB 46 would allow farmers to deliver raw milk or take it to farmers markets. This is something that's been brought up by representatives since 2011. Let's hope this bill can finally pass as it's hard to understand why people should only be able to buy raw milk on the farm, making it hard for people in urban areas of Texas to get fresh raw milk. Also, this upcoming week, the Supreme Court will hear arguments in Bowman versus Monsanto Company, which has farmer Vernon Hugh Bowman suing Monsanto over the issue of seed patents. This will be a landmark case as Monsanto has 144 lawsuits against 410 farmers and 56 small farm businesses in at least 27 states. Let's hope that the Supreme Court will find in favor of Bowman and show Monsanto that they can't control our agriculture system with their disgusting frankenfoods. In other Monsanto lawsuits, a court in France found Monsanto guilty of poisoning a French farmer. Grain grower Paul Francois said he suffered neurological problems such as memory loss, headaches, and stammering after inhaling a Monsanto weed killer. Here's an example of the courts finding Monsanto responsible for their actions. We're soon to see if the U.S. courts will act similarly in the Supreme Court case. And finally, a study conducted by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing found that children who normally skip breakfast result in having lower verbal performance and overall IQs than other children. The importance of breakfast has been long known. People that skip breakfast have also been known to burn less calories. But I urge people to eat the right kind of breakfast with lots of fat-soluble vitamins from eggs, butter, and breakfast meats instead of grains from refined white flour and heavily extruded cereals. And now for the main course, which today is frying foods in coconut oil. Fried food is generally viewed as unhealthy. Not only that, but frying in saturated fat is regarded as the worst for your health. This is another example of politically correct nutrition having things completely backwards. It's the canola and vegetable oils that are high in omega-6s which are making America sick, while we should be frying foods in healthy fats such as beef tallow, lard, butter, and coconut oil. These are all saturated fats which don't become rancid when high heat is applied. They are also high in omega-3s, 
which protect our bodies from toxins and have many other great health benefits. Coconut oil has been vilified for a long time, and we've been told that canola oil is the healthy way to cook. But recently, the tides have been turning, and more people are acknowledging the benefits of coconut oil. One of the highest recognitions of it was the New York Times article talking about how coconut oil is making its way in the health world. Here to talk with me about the wonderfulness of frying foods in coconut oil is Megan Reamer, who founded the company Jackson's Honest Chips, which offers the only coconut oil potato chips available on the market. Megan, it's wonderful to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Aaron. We had first met, this was back in November, at the Wise Traditions Conference in Santa Clara, and you're one of several people I met there. I just met so many great people that I just keep inviting them on the show as guests because it was just such a great network of people and learning about new companies I never knew about before. Yeah, I agree. I met a lot of wonderful people there, too. And some of the exhibitors and what they were doing, were it was surprising to me. It was great. Me too. It's like the perfect supermarket. If only it could be a supermarket of all those products <laughs> to get there and similar ones that have their high standards. I mean, because they very much do vet the vendors for the conferences. So you know that anyone there is going to be good. And speaking of Weston Price, I know that you are a member. How did you get involved with the Weston A. Price Foundation in the beginning? Well, we um, we became members about... I'd say about 10 or 11 years ago, and um, we really um, had to search. I mean, that's what was nice about going to the Wise Traditions Conference because we were searching high and low for products, um, you know, when we first joined, and now there's just this wonderful network of, of, um, of you know, uh, offerings, I should say, you know, that follow these guiding principles, right? So... Um, when we uh, were introduced to Weston A. Price, and you know, it was, it was through the Nourishing Traditions cookbook, and um, we had a child who is our oldest child of four, who um, has had this unnamed illness for a very long time, about ten years at this point, and um, was actively losing gross and fine motor skills, and so we were you know, every few weeks going to Children's Hospital and doing diagnostic testing and, and uh, you know, lumbar punctures and MRIs and blood work, and, and no, nobody could come up with anything about why this was happening to him. And, you know, one of the things that was happening as well as the loss of motor function was um, that he was not absorbing any of his food. Um, it he just he was eating a ton of food he wasn't assimilating it he wasn't gaining weight he was actively losing weight and you know initially the doctors all wanted to put a feeding tube in him wanted to put him on medical grade food and we just kind of feeding him organic foods and breast milk and you know um starting him off on those foods when he was healthy had a real problem with you know turning around and giving him medical formula that contained um, high fructose corn syrup and, um, you know, polyunsaturated fats and things that we just knew were bad. And so we started looking um, at what his options were and what we could do. And, and you know, we found nourishing traditions and we, we thought, well, this makes sense, you know, eat nutrient-dense foods and, um, 
as unprocessed as possible and fermented foods that are easily absorbed and good fats. And so, you know, that's how we were introduced, kind of this desperate act to start um, to try to, to get our son, um, you know, on a more positive, healthy road. And, and you know, there's a, a, a good recipe for um, feeding babies and creating a meat-based formula that's um, – homemade beef broth and, and beef liver and lactose and different healthy fats like cod liver oil and coconut oil. And, and so, um, you know, we started feeding him that and he started turning around and absorbing his food and, you know, not spiraling downward. And, and then, you know, we just started to really absorb that um, philosophy because we saw how it changed him from completely unhealthy and dying to um to 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 more positive road and and kind of um you know having some hope that this was going to at least help one part of what was going on with him I think that's, that's a pretty that's, long answer I'm sorry Oh no please <laughs> uh I, you know no problem with the long answer because I just I think that is such a fantastic story I mean you know, certainly it's a lot to go through with uh, with everything with Jackson but by finding the Weston Price Foundation and this being the thing that finally helps to helps with it all. I mean, it just it shows the uh, the power of nourishing traditions and what it can do. So, how then did you go from there of discovering recipes and nourishing traditions to then getting into business of potato chips? Right. It's a you know it's been an interesting um, journey for us because we've been just mired in this situation with our son for so long and had three other children after him who all benefited from basically what he went through, right? I mean, they've all been brought up on raw milk and, uh, you know, these wonderful fats that have been so uh, nourishing and supportive for their growth and development. And, um, you know, we just started um, really living that lifestyle. And one of the things we did was make these um, potato chips at home because we couldn't find any on the market that were cooked in in an oil that we wanted to feed our kids. And so we started making them um, for as a snack for other kids and for my son. And so um, I'd say probably about maybe two to three years ago when we've served them at picnics and brought them to parties and just kind of, you know, serving them to friends and family. Um they would say to us, hey, these are these taste delicious. You know, I can taste a potato in here. Can you, you know, have you ever thought of selling these? And, you know, we were <laughs> just laugh at them, like, no, we don't have time. Like, we're not snack industry people. That's not what our experience is. We have no time for that. So, um, so then I'd say probably, you know, those comments started to become a lot more aggressive and frequent where, you know, my husband and I just sat down and said, is, can we do this? Is this something we should try? Should we see if other people besides, you know, people we care and love about will will like these and um, respond to them? And, you know, and I think, and they have incredibly and been wonderfully supportive. So, um, so it really started as, you know, making these in our kitchen for our own kids and then kind of bring it out to a larger market to see if it's support for it. What was your background before going into the chips business? I was actually a journalist. I worked for Dow Jones and was a staff reporter for the Wall Street Journal. And then I um, 
I worked for a consulting firm that was called Anderson Consulting when I worked for them, and now they're called Accenture. So certainly a very nothing different to do. change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing at all to do with um, taking on the, the you know, billions of dollars snack food industry. <laughs> in terms of learning to cook the potato chips in coconut oil, I imagine nourishing traditions was probably a big help because there's a great section in there about the different types of oils and fats. Was the book Mary Ennig's Know Your Fats also an important read in learning about cooking in coconut oil? Oh, yes, of course. It was, um, you know, my husband actually, he um, is, he has a degree in chemical engineering. And um, so he um, understood a lot of the chemistry behind you know, the the temperatures and um, how to try to work within those ranges for different oils and um, and then really kind of took it even further by reading uh, Mary's book to, to find out much more the complex chemistry behind those fats. And in the book Know Your Fats as well as Nourishing Traditions, they talk about a number of types of fats and oils that you can cook in. There's certainly... A, number of different saturated fats, all healthy for it. Why did you choose coconut oil as opposed to, say, something like uh, beef tallow or lard? Well, initially, that's the road we went down. We would fry them in lard, primarily, more so than beef tallow, um, because we had an easier time getting lard. We, When we first started making them, I, when I said earlier about the sources and trying to, I mean, for us to even source raw milk 10 years ago in Colorado was impossible. I mean, we were getting it shipped, you know, every other week from organic pastures. And um, and so we were having a, a bit of the same problem, finding lard and, and certainly beef tallow. And um, so what, what ended up happening really was it became a matter of, of that, trying to source what we needed in the quantities that we needed. And those other two traditional fats are much harder to source than coconut oil. So coconut oil is the easiest to find of all of those. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I found the same, same thing because I cook my own nachos. And yeah, I mainly use coconut oil because of the availability. And sometimes also lard can be expensive for it. I mean, I think another advantage of cooking in coconut oil, although we are both Western Price members, is that coconut oil can make the food vegan. So even though we're an advocate of healthy meats, would you say that that's another advantage is that you can market your product also as a vegan product? Because, I mean, everyone, no matter what diet you're under, should be eating healthy oils and healthy fats. Yes, you're right. And and you're right, you know, on both points. And it is a much wider audience to use coconut oil than lard. I mean, I, you know, it's one thing when I was at the Wise Traditions Conference and I had a lot of feedback, um, you know, asking me, why aren't you using lard to cook these? And, and for that particular audience, that's more appropriate. But for, you know, the larger, even on a national level, if that's kind of what your goal is, um, the coconut oil meat fits the bill for a lot of different types of diets. I would say that. And also, I mean, unfortunately, coconut oil is becoming a little accepted faster in the mainstream health world than lard. I mean, truth is, we both know that they're both healthy, but there is more an acceptance of coconut oil now. So 
I would imagine that that would help your product uh, reach national levels faster because of that. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what we're hoping. But um, you know, it's, you've kind of seen this trend with coconut water and how that's just mushroomed over the past five years, say. Um, and so, in fact, we got some information pretty recently that uh, you know Whole Foods, as a as a national chain, is starting to develop and implement more stricter, um, more stringent guidelines about coconut water and how it's processed and what, you know, is it kosher? Is it trying to meet various um, um, guidelines because they've just had so many flood the market and so many manufacturers flood the market that they're trying to create a standard for what they're going to offer as a chain. That's another. And I expect coconut oil to, to to catch up to that, but it'll take a little while. Well, kosher, that's another one. So are your products kosher? They are not because we are making them still here in our commercial kitchen. We're doing it all by hand. Um, still, we slice them and fry them and package them. But in another about five or six weeks, when we start using a manufacturer to make them, um, they will be kosher. Well, that's good because I know some of the actually the big potato chips I believe are not kosher, and I know some of my Jewish friends they when they've you know committed to becoming kosher they've not been able to get some of their potato chips. So there's another advantage of yours when this happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And in addition to talking about why coconut oil is better than obviously the worst of the oils, the canola, corn, and soybean oil. Why would you say coconut oil is also better than other oils such as olive oil or peanut oil and avocado? Well, you know, it's just a lot more stable. And um, besides the amount of saturated fats that it's got in it, um, it's just a lot more predictable and stable when you're heating it. You know, we fry it at a really low temperature anyway, so we don't have to worry about the smoke point. Um, but a lot of those other oils, um, you know, each oil has a different smoke point. And so um, when you're manufacturing them on a larger scale and heating up those oils, you know, they're changing into something else, right? I mean, they're not maintaining their integrity. And so, uh, you know, the coconut oil for us has been the most stable, the most pleasantly tasting, the most... Um, uh, predictable, I guess, uh, as far as being a traditional healthy fat and being able to use it widely. I would agree with that because I see coconut oil as something which is good like for a salad dressing or for a mayo, but I view coconut oil really similar to something like a safflower or sunflower oil where it's best to not be heated because it can reach a point of rancidity very easily if you see a smoking point to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the smoke point's generally around um, 450. So how do you feel that coconut oil adds to the flavor of the potato chips? You know, I'm not sure that it um, adds to the taste as much as the fat component of it adds to the taste. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't, 
you know, I when we get feedback, I don't even taste them anymore. So it's kind of hard for me to give any feedback on the taste because they just taste like a normal chip to me. So for someone who's eating it for the first time, it's interesting for me to get their feedback. And, you know, what we hear most is less that they can taste the coconut oil and the coconut part of it, rather, but um, but that they taste the actual potato and and that it really sort of starts digesting and and flavoring in their mouth um and and i think that's what's contributed to to people really liking uh what they're eating when they taste them when you started making them at first did you have a little problem of tasting too much of the coconut um no i mean it was definitely trial and error uh how to what temperature they were best fried and then not just that but how well they store it afterward. You know, that's been a little bit of a problem for us when we were making them in lard, that afterward they were great right out of the fryer. But if they sat around at all or even, you know, you kind of wrap them in wax paper and try to, to keep them fresh, they tended to get soggy. And so, um, you know, when we worked with the coconut oil, we were definitely conscious of that and mindful of that. And, um, you know, it was a little bit of a of a project to figure out, at what temperature we should fry them and how they retain their shape and their consistency and their texture afterward. And um, once we kind of nailed those things down, it was, it's been pretty smooth sailing, except for the fact that we're, you know, trying to, to do all of it ourselves and, you know, trying to meet the demand and keep everybody happy. <laughs> well, that's a good point to bring up. I mean, cause that is a thing about the, big ag potato chips is they have these preservatives, which they're going to be able to last longer on sh on shelves in stores. But I mean, of course, that's not always a good thing about foods that never expire. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Ours have a shelf life of about three months. I think, you know, it would be, that's about all we're legally allowed to say that they have a shelf life of quite honestly. Um, but uh, you know, they retain their their texture and their taste um, for at least that long. But I think it's a bit longer. Well, that's, I think, certainly a good amount of time. So does coconut oil have a longer shelf life than a tallow or a lard? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know the, the scientific answer to that. I just know in kind of fooling around in the kitchen, it definitely seems to. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the, the fat content of lard and tallow that it just really kind of seeps into um, to that chip or that potato in particular because, you know, we could never keep them longer than a few hours after without, you know, really the, the, the texture and the consistency sort of starting to... Um, When you you first... can't find many foods cooked in lard, so I think it's hard to tell, <laughs> at least commercially available. No, there aren't a lot. And, I mean, there's not a lot of foods cooked in coconut oil either. I mean, you are being truthful when you say that yours are the only potato chips that are cooked in the coconut oil. They're all cooked in – I mean, there aren't even that many cooked in, like, an olive oil or an avocado oil. I think I know of one. I mean, they're all cooked in these rancid vegetable oils, and – it's not really about frying because you see these other ones that they try to make it sound healthy saying, oh, these chips are baked or these chips are popped. But yeah. those aren't any better for you because they're just baked.
baked in a canola oil, they're popped in a canola oil, and often genetically modified canola oils too. I mean, because then you have those organic potato chips, but they're just cooked in organic vegetable oils, which are better, but they still go rancid even if the vegetable oil is organic. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, and there are definitely, there's a a population of people who already know that stuff, right? Not just, I mean, a lot, obviously, that are Weston A. Price members and, um, and they're the ones who are doing a lot of ordering from us as well as the paleo community. Um, but I think there are a lot more people who are at least aware. I'm not sure they know necessarily what choices to make to change um, that part of their diet and how to um, substitute it instead of get rid of it altogether. But, but I'm learning that there are a lot more people who understand and are aware of um, of you know the rancidity and the kind of the the drawbacks and um, you know the negative things that surround the vegetable oils. When you and start, like you said, even in organic, has you know a lot of the same issues. Right now, when you first started making these potato chips in coconut oil, were there any other challenges? Was this a process that was different than the way you make the conventional potato chips? I'm not sure because I've never made them in vegetable oil. I suppose that would be a good experiment, actually, to just kind of do a bit of a taste test or do a bit of a comparison and see, you know, at what temperature you would fry potatoes if you're using canola oil. And I've never, I've never done that, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people probably haven't made their own potato chips at all. How did you learn how to make potato chips? Did you find a recipe or was it more just looking at the ingredients and kind of a trial and error figuring out how they're made? Yeah, it was it was an experiment. You know, my husband with his chemistry background took it as a challenge upon himself to, you know, we don't need to buy any chips off the shelf. They're not made in good oils. We can do this at home ourselves. And so, um, yeah, it was a bit of an experiment and and. You know, it, it definitely wasn't uh, wasn't hard. It just, you know, it required um, a little bit of um, legwork to even find the right sources for what we want to include in our chips. So, you know, we're also trying to use and using organic potatoes and organic coconut oil and. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge to find those in the quantity that we need because manufacturers aren't used to needing those types of ingredients, and so they're not as readily available. And if they are, you're paying a lot of money for them. Yeah, I was going to say that's a lot of things that you include in it that are certainly important because another problem with potato chips is potatoes are one of the dirty dozen as far as foods that are sprayed pesticides. And I know also another ingredient you include in your chips is sea salt instead of the typical iodized salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, it's been – our potatoes are, you know, the ones that we're using now because we're doing this at home by hand. We're, we've got the local organic farmers who are 
supplying us with potatoes. When we looked into doing this on a larger scale with a manufacturer, you know, it took several weeks to find uh, a supplier who has organic potatoes in the quantities that we're going to need. And, um, you know, p people like Pepsi, you know, who makes Lay's, they, they're all GMO potatoes, right? I mean, they're perfectly round. They fit in their machines perfectly correctly, so they get an X number of slices out of those potatoes. And you know as well as I do, when you get a potato that, you know, you pick right out of the ground, um, they don't look like that. And so it's been, um, it's been a really fun uh, experiment, I guess, is what you'd call it, for us to not just, you know, find some sources for the potatoes and really stand behind them and believe in where these sources are, you know, where these potatoes are coming from, but, um, but to also, um, you know, try to help these um, friends who, of ours who are local farmers who are, live in western Colorado and, you know, really believe in what they're growing too. So um, it's been um, it's been fun to try to to try to source all of those things. It's been a little bit of a challenge, but it's been really fun too, and and find the right people to work with because it really is a good partnership. That's an interesting point you bring up about the genetic modification because I know there isn't an approved genetically modified potato by Monsanto, but a lot of these big companies. They themselves genetically modify the potatoes. Mm -hmm. Interesting, because that's um, something that I hadn't realized, and it's a good point to bring up that even though there aren't genetically modified potatoes that Monsanto's gotten approved yet, I'm sure this applies to a lot of vegetables that we eat, that a lot of companies themselves do genetic modification. So there's more GMOs going on than just what Monsanto is doing. Yes. Yes, you're right. Right, and then it's been, that's what's been, you know, really interesting for us to learn, and almost felt a little hoodwinked about, you know what I mean? Just kind of, gosh, this is a bigger picture than I thought it was. That's something I think you find when you're involved with a movement like the Weston A. Prices. They're just kind of always further that you have to go. You realize there's another food that's problematic and you just realize you got to get more and more strict it's it's something with that and i think really with just with being environmental it's kind of the matter of realizing there's always more you can do and further you can go right and i think you know i and i think that's part of the reason people have been really supportive in what we are trying to do you know our chips basically we're selling them at cost we're not making any money in them and you know they're small bags that are not necessarily they're great snack size they're not the the most ideal size which is why we're bringing out these larger um five ounce bags in another month or so and 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 we'll hopefully kind of realize much better economies of scale when we do that um on a pricing level obviously and so um it's been great to have people order our chips and write me notes saying you know, why they're supporting us and that they're excited we're making these. And, you know, um, to really feel that uh, that outpouring has been great, as well as really connecting to the reason why we started doing this and, and my son. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk more about Jackson's Honest Potato Chips after a word from our sponsors. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, 
hundreds of recipes and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, let us be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. Visit our website at organicsproutedflour.net or call toll-free 877-401-6837. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. Perry Pure Eco Rag Industry is an eco-conscious clothing line. Designed and manufactured in Los Angeles, Perry is dedicated to sustainability by using certified organic, eco-friendly, and reclaimed fabrics and using low-impact dyes in its solar-powered facility. The Perry collections are inspired by the changing colors and moods of nature. A portion of all sales go to organizations that support the health of our oceans and seas. Shop today at perrythelabel.com, and for listeners of The Appropriate Omnivore, you'll receive 45% off all items when you use the code OMNI45. We're back. I'm interviewing Megan Reamer of the company Jackson's Honest Potato Chips, and we're asking the question, why coconut oil? So continuing with our coconut oil discussion, do you have um, certain types of coconut oils that you think are better than others? Well, I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of um, difference and and discussion about using virgin coconut oil and expeller pressed and uh, refined and unrefined. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think um, they're all better than using a vegetable oil. I think we'd all agree on that. Um, and we use an organic coconut oil um, to guarantee that we're using a high-quality product without any imps like fertilizer, pesticides, chemicals, you know, all of those um, nasty things. Mm -hmm. And you talked earlier about how coconut oil was a better, easier to find than the lards and the tallows. And I know I found the price of coconut oil to be a little less expensive than those. But I mean, certainly coconut oil is still expensive. Is that one of the challenges that you face, the price of coconut oil? Yes, it is. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, you know, we have a higher priced product because the ingredients we're using are higher priced. And we're trying to figure out how to, you know, move this company forward and move this business forward and and offer products that we believe in and would only feed our children and eat ourselves and do that in a in an affordable, economical way. Um, it's been really a challenge, uh, but but we think we've got the right sources for coconut oil and for the potatoes that we can um, at least introduce it on a larger scale and see how it's received. Is part of it that even though coconut oil is more expensive than say the other oils? You just have to right now live with that it's a little more expensive because you want to get the message across that coconut oil is the best. Yes. 
That's right. And we're, we're able to do that. Um, so we feel lucky that we've got the, the choice that we can, you know, stay true to this ideal and stay true to this philosophy that we believe in and um, introduce this product to, to the market and just see what happens. You know, when we started this company, it was in July of 2012, and um, said we have these snack size bags. They're 1.75 ounce bags. You know, they're not they're not huge, and and they're really a snack size. And you know, part of the reason we went with that size is because we weren't sure how people would receive them. We weren't sure anybody would like them, and we'd be able to sell. You know, we had to buy. 20,000 bags to even begin. And so we ended up going with these smaller ones just to test the waters and um, and then pretty quickly realized it wasn't, you know, meeting the bill and we, we had much more demand than we expected. Well, that's always good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're hoping that's what happens, you know, when we roll it out on a larger scale. So we're, we're feeling pretty positive about it. Hopefully... What we think will happen will happen. I think so. I mean, I have to say that these are probably the best potato chips I ever tasted because this is something that's very important to me. So I admire the, uh, sticking with it and going with the coconut, even though it may be more expensive. I'm a person who will actually, at restaurants, ask the waiters what are their fries cooked in. And so many times the answer I typically get is, canola oil or soybean oil. I don't think I've seen any that cook it in coconut oil. Sometimes I'll get ones that cook it in like a peanut oil, which that's one which I'll at least compromise and order when I'm out. And, you know, I've even talked with some restaurant owners. They've asked me about it. And, you know, they talk though about, oh, coconut oil, it's so expensive that I think it's great that you're doing this. As you explain on your website, this isn't just a business it's a movement yeah yeah i mean it's it's definitely not the reason we went into it was not to you know create this business to um it's always nice when your business makes a profit right but that's not that was not nearly at all the driving force that propelled us to to start making them and you know as a as a kind of side to introducing these on a larger scale and, and seeing if people like them and trying to educate um, people about why we were using coconut oil and the health benefits of coconut oil. It's been a really interesting way for us to communicate, you know, what's happened to our son and, um, you know, what was really a guiding force for us when we started this, you know, that was all driven by him has not become kind of to the side, but it's become its own um, momentum, so to speak. I mean, it's it's become this um, interesting story for us to tell in a really positive way and, and try to make lemonade out of lemons, so to speak. And I've had some people connect with me via the website and uh, through email about similar situations they're going through with their children. And... Um, one mom in particular and I have been talking a lot about some similarities and, and, you know, kind of trying to join some forces. So it's been, it's been really wonderful in a lot of different ways, but um, it definitely didn't start out as, okay, what's our new business? You know, what are we going to do to, to, 
to to make some money. It's it was really, um, you know, how can we let everyone else know what we're doing and see if people respond to that or are doing the same thing and, you know, want to join us. And to me, that is one of the things that is most appealing about the business is the story. And I love how on your website you tell the story and also you talk about the science and the nutrition behind your food, explaining how it's healthy and how it's natural. I mean, I think that's something that all businesses should do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of the large the the Pepsi and the Nabisco and you know, they can't um respond to um on that level, right? I mean, they're they're machines essentially, like factories of making making food and um and you know, one of the things they tend to do is look for smaller companies, niche players and um, and, you know, companies that have created these markets that people, most people really uh, respond with and um, feel some kind of a, you know, similarity to. You talked earlier about uh, some expansion as far as selling larger bags. Do you have other plans for expansion, such as introducing more flavors? Yes, we definitely do. And um, we're working on those flavors now and, and creating those. You know, one of the things that's been a little challenging with the flavors as well is to find non-GMO ingredients and gluten-free ingredients and, you know, really be able to offer a complete product uh, for our customers. So, um, so we continue to work on that and kind of flesh out the flavors and try to, you know, try to figure out which flavors – makes sense with a coconut oil chip. Is it to to recreate a lot of the flavors that we see now with traditional chips, or is it to offer something completely new? Um, and, you know, we're not sure what the answers are to those questions, but, but we're, you know, doing a lot of market testing and trying to, to come up with the answer to that. And we're also working with uh, one of the local farmers here that we get potatoes from to grow several different varieties of sweet potatoes so that we can offer a sweet potato chip hopefully, you know, within the next, I don't know, six months, seven months, something like that. We're planting them soon and, and you know, we'll be ready in the summer to try to try out and, you know, try to work out all the kinks like we did with the coconut oil chips because we definitely tested various um, different varieties of potatoes in which tasted the best and which fried the best and which held their, um, you know, consistency and their texture the best after packaging. And so we'll do the same thing with the sweet potatoes, but hopefully, you know, our goal is to introduce one, I'd say, in the fall. I would say as far as new flavors, I would go for both. I would try some of the additional ones we love, but I mean, I'm a potato chip connoisseur and I always love trying new potato chip flavors. So I think you could succeed in both ways. Have a whole lineup, huh? Yeah, I mean, I know certainly it's uh, it's a lot to introduce a lot of flavors right at once, but I would kind of maybe introduce maybe one traditional flavor that people are used to and introduce one new flavor at the same time. Mm-hmm. What are some of the flavors that you're working on? Well, we've got a um, vinegar flavor, salt and vinegar, which is pretty nailed down. We think we've got that one. Um, complete and it's a real sweet 
vinegar. It's not a malt vinegar that we use in it, and so um, it's an apple cider vinegar. So it's a it's got this um, really um, not um, overpowering uh, taste, and um, it's definitely more on the sweeter side. And we're working on a barbecue uh, flavor as well, and. Um, we're thinking of, you know, taking them a, a little sweeter, um, trying to incorporate maybe a mango or a chocolate somehow in them. So, um, you know, it's been a fun process to try to uh, figure out what works and what doesn't. And when you bite into one that doesn't work, like we uh, initially thought a lime made a lot of sense. And so we did this lime flavor, and it was just, you know, as soon as you bite into it, you're like, no, mm -mm, doesn't work. So we either have to go back to the drawing board with that particular flavor or move on to the next one and come back to it, you know, later on. But um, it's been a fun process. Oh, it sounds like a very fun process. And I remember <laughs> at the conference, your daughter gave me her card, which she was the chief potato chip tester. Are your kids <laughs> certainly, do they play a big part in trying out new flavors for the chips? Oh, yeah, they definitely do. And they have clear ideas of what they like and don't like. So, um, you know, it's it's been great for them to watch this happen because, you know, there are a lot of logistics, obviously, that they can't participate in. But they all pack boxes and, you know, get the shipments ready. And, and they see this uh, really positive experience happening out of something that's really affected their lives as well with our son and, and you know, their sibling. So, um so they definitely like to uh, help us out and, and participate and, and taste everything. And they're very clear on when it tastes bad. So are they a fan of the new flavors that you're coming out with? The Yeah, they like them. Uh, yeah. And, you know, one likes one better than another. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been good, you know, and, and we'll line up the other kids, their friends, and, okay, let's do some taste testing and, you know, they're not the politically correct adults who say, mm, yeah, I'm not really sure this works. You know, they bite into it and say, oh, this is awful, or I love this, you know. So I guess we have to gauge the gauge the temperature at different different ages. Right. Well, and I started to just imagine just because they're siblings, they have disagreements about which like better. I had a brother, and, you know, we would always – I don't know if it was intentional or not, but we would tend to disagree on things. <laughs> yeah, you 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 don't you wonder if it's partly the relationship or partly that they truly have those feelings. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. They're right. just trying to say the opposite of their sister. But it certainly sounds like a fun thing to do, and I'm certainly looking forward to when these salt and vinegar chips come out because that is my favorite flavor is the salt and vinegar. <laughs> but the thing with these vinegar chips is white vinegar has no nutritional value. Apple cider vinegar, on the other hand. Uh, is the one you're using, is it a raw apple cider vinegar? I would have to look. I'm not sure. That's a good question. But certainly apple cider vinegar has much more nutritional value than the typical vinegar. In addition to making other flavors, are you looking at making other types of chips such as a nacho or pretzel? Yes, we are. Um, and I think the tortilla chips are something that our goal is to introduce this year as well, toward the end of the year, I think. Um, kind of late summer, early fall, probably around the time of the sweet potato. And um, 
you know, our, our, our long-term goals and, uh, and expansion ideas are definitely to, you know, do a popcorn, do a pretzel, you know, it can, it, it, it can, it's across the board, right? I mean, it can go to any of the snacks. And, um, so, so that's our long-term expansion goals for sure. Well, those all sound great. I mean, I love all those. Love popcorn. I mean, I'm a moviegoer, so I always love popcorn. And I'm Bavarian, so I love pretzels. Now, being in the Western Price, I know you also follow some paleo types of diets, too. Um, what are you looking at making the pretzels out of? Well, I'm not sure yet. That's what we're trying to, you know, the sourcing, again, has been um, – a little challenging with what types of flour to use and, um, you know, the best kind of um, multi-market approach to it but while staying true to, you know, the ingredients that we believe in. And I think right now there is a lot of different views inside the Western price movement as to grains and to wheat. What are your thoughts on those? On the resistance to grains, right? Um, do you do you eat grains, and you know how much of a diet are they? Yeah, you know, I we try not to eat too many grains. Uh, just you know, I we do a gluten free diet at my house, and um, and have found even doing the gluten free diet and trying gluten free bread and. Um, that the more of a of a meat and vegetable, and of course potatoes, but <laughs> um, you know, uh, trying to follow more of a paleo diet in certain ways has been a lot more beneficial for some of the skin you know conditions I've seen here in my own house, like an eczema or something like that, that have been attributable and tested and, you know, are kind of a, a wheat and gluten thing. Um, even even trying to use a gluten-free bread, which we do, um, I try to use them sparingly because uh, it just seems like everybody's happier, skin is happier, moods are happier when, um, you know, we're on a more traditional diet of fats and protein. What's the type of gluten-free bread that you eat? We use Canyon Bakehouse, and they make a few different flavors, like a cinnamon raisin and um, Mountain White and Seven Green, I think. So it's a type of pre-made bread. I try to make a lot of bread. it, too. Hmm? It's a type of pre-made bread? Yeah, so I try to make a lot of it. You know, that's kind of my quick go-to in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try to use, um, oh, I don't know, if I have to use a package to make the bread, I'll use Bob's Red Mill or something like that. Mm-hmm. What gluten-free grains do you use from Bob's Red Mill? I don't really, I don't really use any. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't really cook many. I mean, I'll I'll make just some rice every now and then, but not oh, much. Right. Yeah. When making the pretzels, would you try to go for a gluten-free one? I think so. I I mean, I just, you know, I really have a hard time. Um, Having other people eat something that we wouldn't eat. Oh, and I yeah. Think I, probably I can understand need to get, that. I, mean, maybe, I, I may need to get over that a little bit because, um, you know, that's a small subset of the population. I, I'm not sure what size it would be, but I know it wouldn't be like a mass market. So 
Um, but it's it's a little bit of an ethical issue where, can't, you know, you just don't want to give somebody something you yourself wouldn't eat. And so, you know, using a gluten-free or not, it would be a, a bit of a kind of back and forth, I think, on what to do there. I mean, my, my daughter who you met, um, she works at our farmer's market all summer long, which, by the way, is run by um, Jen and Kevin McGrother, who you may have met at the yeah. Wise Traditions Conference. Um, she runs a blog called Nourish Kitchen. And so um, so they also run our Crested Butte Farmer's Market. And my daughter, for the past four summers, has been selling snow cones. And this was her idea. She wanted to do this. And initially, we couldn't figure out. We had a bit of a hard time. How do we do snow cones that have the dyes and, you know, the flavors in them? What do we do? And we searched high and low and finally found, you know, organic snow cone syrup that does not have any dyes or flavorings or um, preservatives in them. And so um, initially, though, we just kind of – I think it's the same thing with the gluten-free flour and what, what would we eat and what can we offer. You know, it, it was sort of we went back and forth, like how can we offer these – um, traditional snow cones to kids when we wouldn't even feed them to our our own kids. How can we offer them to others? <laughs> so um, it's a little bit of that with with some of the products that we're looking at introducing. So it's a lot like in the beginning, kind of a trial and error to find what's the right thing that, that tastes good and also that fits your guidelines for dietary. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, you don't want them to be too strict, but you also want them to adhere to your principles and your values. And that's the interesting thing about the snow cone. So this is a it's a snow cone syrup that has no preservatives in it. Right. Interesting. So what is it made? It's made from like me like like fruit juice. Yeah, and it's made from um trying to think of some of the ingredients off the top of my head because it's got like um, beets in it and you know some of the colors don't they they sync up pretty well so when I mean they're traditional flavors like um, bubble gum and um, lemon lime and you know how they're getting the the colors for those are um, you know blueberries and but um, natural ingredients are uh, driving those, um, in, driving those colors and driving the flavoring, but it's got rice syrup in it. Well, there's certainly a lot I think you can just make from syrup, just from fruits. Because I make my own popsicles, I just like grind up some some raspberries and some blueberries, and I find you're able to make popsicles. That's amazing what you can do with coloring. I think just from like some natural foods, like. Uh, my partner with the uh, the Balance Omnivore Project, um, Jessica Draper, does. Balance Paleo, she was actually found a way to make a mint chocolate chip ice cream just using spirulina. Hmm. Wow. So I think it's it's amazing what you can do with colorings, I think, just with some natural things. So in addition to um, other types of chips for your business and other flavors of the potato chips, have you also thought in terms of making the bags that are unsustainable? Because I know in other countries they have these bags that are compostable. Is that something you've considered? Well, we've we've definitely considered it, and you know we have to balance what the um, packaging is made of versus how how it keeps its freshness, how it maintains the um, shelf life. And so, when we introduce our new bags, we're using a paper product, 
um, that's foil lined. So it's not compostable, but um, you know that's definitely something for us to try to continue to figure out and um, figure out how to try to mesh those two um, two parts together with making it a, a sustainable um, package, but maintains the uh, freshness and the taste. Sure, I imagine that that is a bit of a challenge because I know that's one of the things with BPA is, while that's problematic, a lot of these BPA-free cans have ended up actually being worse. So while sometimes the packaging is a problem, solutions to avoiding what's bad about packaging isn't always the easiest thing. No, and I mean, you know, we, we sort of saw that even just trying to take our chips on a larger scale with your idea is wonderful, but trying to even find the avenue to execute it is um, sometimes it's just not available. You know, sometimes there isn't a solution yet uh, to to meet what you want. I mean, we almost thought that was the case when we were trying to find organic potatoes and organic coconut oil in quantities other than you know, what we needed to make them in our commercial kitchen here. And, and you know, there was a, a bit of a tense moment when we thought we weren't even going to be able to find them. And they just, you know, just because they weren't available in the, in the scale that we needed them to be. So it's a little bit like that with um, the packaging. You know, our intentions may be one thing, but the reality of what's available is different. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on this program. We're going to have to go to our desserts in a second, but before we go, can you let people know where they can find your potato chips to purchase? Yeah, well, they're available online through our website, jacksonshonestchips.com. Um, you know, we're, we're selling them locally at a few dozen health food stores in Colorado and Wyoming. They're available uh, through Wise Choice Market, and... Um, Backyard CSA is now selling them as well, and um, and hopefully, you know, they'll be available in more uh, retail um, chain stores, I'd say, by um, early to mid-April. That's great. We'll certainly look forward to seeing them in the stores. Just once again, give people the address where they can find your site. It's jacksonshonestchips.com. Thank you so much, Megan. It's been a pleasure. And now for our desserts. This Tuesday, February 19th, Monica Ford, the head chef at Real Food Devotee, will be giving a free class at Grassroots Natural Market in South Pasadena at 7 p.m. Monica will talk about how traditional foods can be used to heal your gut and build superhuman immunity. Also, this Thursday, February 21st, the Culture Club 101 in Pasadena will be providing a workshop on how to make lacto-fermented soda pops such as root beer, which will be full of probiotics, enzymes, antioxidants, and B vitamins. You'll also get to take home a wild ginger starter culture and other fermentation supplies will be available for sale. And finally, next Saturday, February 23rd, the new Temecula Farm Primal Pastures has a Weston A. Price potluck luncheon and farm tour. You can see for yourself how the farm raises their poultry sustainably and have some great real food dishes with fellow Weston Price members. That's all for this week of The Appropriate Omnivore. My guest next week is Carl Burgart of Olay Olive Oil. For more information about my guests, my news stories, and my recommendations, visit my website at appropriateomnivore.com. Okay, well,